it's literally all a game of self-love. If you genuinely love yourself, then you'd probably start nourishing yourself with food that's actually going to support your long-term health and longevity. You're probably going to move your body. You're probably going to surround yourself with people that support your growth and hold you accountable. And I think a big reason why people struggle to create content that's authentic to them is because they're still attached to certain insecurities that are holding them back from fully stepping into their power. And you see this all the time. I've gone through it myself. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to my social life. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. As always, today's podcast is powered by Surf. And this is the podcast where we teach you how to grow on social media by talking to people who have actually done it. People like Jeremy Abramson, who's also known as Coach Jeremy305 on social media. He has over 1.2 million followers on TikTok, and I cannot be more excited to have him here on the podcast today. Jeremy, welcome to the show. My brother, I'm so excited we're doing this. Appreciate the kind words. Oh, me too, man. I'm excited to have you here. I want to start today. I want to start with a hero of yours. Because from my understanding, your mom is your hero. Hey, my dude. I was told that Jacob was known for his research and doing the homework. Um, yeah, man. I mean, really both of my parents are my biggest inspiration. So my mom, you know, she immigrated from England. And she gave birth to me when she was 43 years old, which is very, very unheard of. And then on top of that, she breastfed me for over three years. And I just remember my mom sharing this with me later on in life about, you know, all the dirty looks she got, whether it was in the mall or at the park and people constantly judging her and you know, probably talking shit about her behind her back. But like, ultimately, she didn't let any of those things deter her from just showing up in the most powerful way as a mother. Um, so yeah, man, I mean, I think all of us need to show a little bit more love to our moms, because ultimately, they brought us into this world. Absolutely. You mentioned your dad there as well. He's a neurologist, right? Yeah. So, so my dad was a neurologist. He practiced for over 40 years. Um, he actually spanned six decades, 1979 to 2020, which is pretty incredible. And, you know, my dad, just ever since I can remember, was always up super early, 4.35 a.m. I would wake up, I would go downstairs, he would either be on his exercise bike or be doing like ab exercises. And I'm like, this guy's incredible. Like, 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 what? So I feel like subconsciously I was just instilled with these values and core values and, and, and really ways to operate and live life by and not necessarily from things that he told me or said to me, but it was really just him doing those things and embodying them every single day. Because when you're a doctor, like the truth is you work a lot, you know? My dad was usually, you know, out to work by 6.30, 7 a.m. And he would get back at 6.30 or 7, you know. And as a young kid, it's like I go to bed at 8 or 9, you know. So 
the time necessarily wasn't so massive that I got to spend with him during the week. But I just know that he always did his best to be present in those interactions and moments together. So I feel like all of those things allowed me to grow up in an environment where I was shown these these soft skills to live life by. And, and I'm really, really, really grateful for that because I'm very aware that so many people don't have the privilege of growing up in a household where they even have both parents around, let alone two parents that actually give a shit about raising, raising a child to their best ability. So very grateful for, for my childhood, man. Absolutely. You know, he picked up a lot of those things, like you said, kind of through osmosis almost. They just kind of, it wasn't necessarily through direct speaking, but through action. But there were some stories that your dad did tell you about that did have an impact on you. So I'm curious if you could tell me the significance of Grandpa George. Wow. Wow. Um, that's crazy. So um, that's, this man, this man really goes deep. So my dad's biggest inspiration was his dad who was my grandpa, right? Grandpa George. So like when I was a kid, we would visit them in Atlanta, Georgia, once or twice a year. Um, and to be honest with you, my grandpa died when I was 11 or 12. He was 101. So my, my grandparents gave birth to my dad also very late, which led to this dynamic of my grandparents being really old you know, even when I came into this world. So, you know, basically my grandpa, from what I remember of him was just like a really playful guy. Like one of the things I remember doing is like, he would be chilling, watching TV. And I was just this little boy, like, and I would come around and like, he had a little double chin. You know what happens when you get older? Like it gets a little loose and hangy. And I would just like, I would like, I would just fuck around with him and play with his double chin like this. And then like, like run away and he would try to catch me like with his hand. But really when it comes down to it, I feel like the biggest impact that my grandpa had on me was the impact that he had on my dad, you know? And I feel like my grandpa was pretty introverted, pretty introverted. But one of the things that I know he instilled in my dad, which my dad always instilled in me, was this idea that you need to be passionate about whatever it is that you're sharing and selling to the world. So my grandpa was a vacuum salesman, literally door to door selling vacuums in like rural Iowa in the 1950s, bro. Right? Just imagine that. And my grandpa was able to do that successfully because he genuinely believed in the product. He genuinely believed that this vacuum was going to enhance and enrich the lives of others. And I really kind of embody the same approach with my work. Like for me, I never feel like I'm selling any of my masterminds or coaching or programs, whatever you want to call it, because I genuinely believe in them so strongly. I've seen people's lives change by implementing the practices and habits and 
work that we implement. So it's like, comes back to that, that level of really just being really uh, connected and aligned and confident in whatever it is that you're sharing. Because I think a lot of people have insecurities about putting their message out or selling a product or service. And ultimately, if you're really confident in your ability to create a positive impact, then those insecurities should melt away. And I think that's what people forget. It's that nobody wants to buy your product. They want a solution to a problem that they have that will make their life better. So don't sell them on the product, sell them on how you're going to improve their life. Mm, yeah, that's a nice reminder. Like, that's a nice reminder for, for me to hear too, because you can get very attached to what you're selling or like what you're, what you're promoting. And you can sometimes lose touch with actually focusing on bringing value. It's like, hey, these are your pain points. And here is how this, here is how I and my team and this experience can help you overcome some of those blockages and limiting beliefs. So I think that's really important, you know, to focus on providing value and focus on being solution oriented. And I really want to start with, with talking about your family, just to, to set your, your foundation. And from us, you grew up in San Mateo, right? Yeah. San Mateo, California. Aragon High School? Aragon High School. Correct. You were, you were always athletic growing up from my understanding. You know, you, tennis was your best sport. You played basketball, a little bit of baseball. And I think at one point you realized that you weren't like, you weren't good enough to play pro sports, but you still want to be a part of it. And I'm curious what that realization was, was cause I know, I believe you went to school with Eddie Williams, right. Who played in the NFL. So was it like seeing like a guy like that who ultimately went on to play at the pros? Like, is that when you realize that maybe there is another level here that I can't reach? Like, when did you realize you couldn't play pro sports? Wow. I hate to burst your bubble, but I was made aware of that much much sooner. So like you said, my best sport was tennis, right? But to be quite honest, it was like natural abilities, like that athleticism, that hand-eye coordination. Like my parents never, you know, really pushed or invested in that direction. And to be honest, like it's definitely something that at times I wish they would have, right? Um but but no, I was always a solid athlete, especially especially when you go to a Jewish school up until fifth grade, and like I, I dominated kickball, dodgeball, basketball. I was a beast. And then when I went to public school, sixth grade, like I was like, damn, like oh shit, like these kids have crossovers, like they can shoot threes, like they got games. So honestly, man, I think. I think that dream was crushed probably somewhere in middle school. But, but to be honest with you, I always had my eyes on a career in sports in some capacity, right? So I remember seeing the movie Jerry Maguire with Tom Cruise at a very young age. And I was like, damn, like that sports agent life looks fun. And um, growing up a huge Oakland A's baseball fan, like – you know, they had a very popular GM named Billy Bean. They later made a movie uh, called Moneyball. So for me, I was like, I love sports. It was a really big way that my dad and I connected to, you know, going to games and just kind of being in that energy. 
Um, so that's why I studied in school at University of Oregon, business, sports marketing. I got a, I got a job, uh, I got a job pretty soon after college working with Stanford's athletic department and the Oakland A's baseball team. And ultimately, um, the universe had a different plan for me, which I'm very, very grateful for. Um, but, but yeah, man, I think for me that happened much earlier than even like high school. Like I knew I was an athletic fit person, but by no means did I think I had any business being like, like a high level college or professional athlete. Okay. And then with, so with, for you and I met for context for the audience as we met at VCon and as many people know, Gary V's goal in life is to own the New York Jets. And from my understanding, at one point, you had a goal where you wanted to own the athletics. You wanted to own the Oakland A's. You didn't just want to work for them. You wanted to be the owner. Hey, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I'm blown away that you know this, but, um, but yeah, that's actually 100% factual. I remember, you know, just going to games, man. Like they always had trouble attracting fans to their games. They would always do really well in the regular season and not in the postseason. And I was like, like, fuck this, man. Like very similar, honestly, to Gary V. Um, I didn't know if it was like being the general manager um, or eventually having some sort of role in the front office or ownership. But I was like, man, how sweet would it be if I could not only watch this team bring a championship to this city, but also like play a role in that. Um, and then fast forward, I got my break with the team. And for those who don't know, especially 10 years ago, or at this point, it was like seven years ago, you know, the sports industry is very competitive. And I'm not sure it's the same competitive nature as it is now, because now there's so many more options, I feel like with social media and content creation and storytelling and all these things. But, you know, I got a job, sales marketing with the Oakland A's. Dude, I was crushing it. Like first four or five months, I was bringing my energy to like a nine to five environment, right? So like you can imagine that was, that was welcomed. Like I'm sure some people kind of were, were a little caught off guard, but like I was bringing that positive energy. Like I was super passionate about the team, obviously. So like I was, I was loving it. And then one day, and, and I'll tell you briefly the story. It's not like a crazy exciting story, but basically, basically for those who don't know the A's and we're, they're actually, actually there's no teams now, no professional teams. But at the time there was two or three teams that shared their baseball and football stadiums. Right. And the Oakland A's and the Oakland Raiders shared their stadium at this time. So this was like early August. Okay. The A's were in first place. They were crushing it. They were the favorite for the World Series. So I'm leaving the office at like 5 p.m., walking down to the parking lot in my, to my car, right? And that evening was a Raider preseason football game. So I was a season ticket holder for the Raiders because I was also a huge fan of them. So it was a preseason game against uh, the Cleveland Browns. And I was, like, I was like, dude, I've been here nine hours already. I'm not really trying to watch this preseason game. Uh, so I saw some Browns fans playing beer pong in the parking lot. And I was like, yo guys, you know, I have four tickets to the game. Like, like, do y'all need tickets? And they're like, oh yeah, actually we do. 
um, how much do you want for them? And I was like, honestly, man, like I'm not trying to make money off these. You can just give me face value. They're like 25 bucks each, right? Turns out they're undercover cops. Bro. And I got arrested for scalping tickets on the premise of the venue of the stadium, of the arena. So I'm literally getting walked up and escorted in handcuffs upstairs, up the ramp. While that's happening, my managers from the A's are walking down and they have no context as to what happened, right? So the next day I got called in by like the head dude. He just ripped me an asshole. He's like, you're a fucking idiot. Like, like didn't even give me a chance, honestly, to explain myself or like give my side of the story. He's just like, this is an embarrassment. Like you are not welcome. Like all the, all this stuff, bro. So you can imagine like this was my dream organization and I was like stunned. I was shocked. I was heartbroken and like, okay, I guess this is that, that is this moving forward. Um, that was the greatest blessing though, bro. Like truly, dude, let me turn this alarm off. I don't know if you can hear it. So we can actually talk about this. One of the things that I um, implemented with my students in my microdosing mastermind this week was um, setting these random alarms throughout the day at 11, 11 a.m. Um, at 2.22 p.m. So all like spiritually aligned numbers. And it's just like an opportunity to take a break, disconnect, take some breaths and ground in some gratitude. So you heard the 2.22 alarm go off. Um, but no, going back to that story, just to cap it off, I mean, that was a, a really transformative moment in time for me because it was like this whole thing, this whole vision and ambition that I had just kind of came falling down. And it was like a real opportunity for me to kind of reevaluate. And it's just a reminder, man, like literally, it's those, those biggest, those times when we feel the most pain are actually when we realize how much potential we truly have, right? It's like, I felt this sense of desperation and that's where I also found the most inspiration to figure out what's next for me. And it's in those moments, you know, I've been listening to this guy named Arthur Brooks talks who teaches happiness at Harvard. And he talks about how the best time when you're fishing to cast, if you're fishing in the ocean to cast your line is when, is when the tide goes out because it stirs up all the plankton stuff and all the game fish go crazy for it. So they're easily biting onto your lure. And it's the same thing in life. When the tide goes out on life, that's the best time for you to make some changes, take your shot and get to the next level for when the tide comes back in. And so it's the down moments when you make the, the positive transitions in your life. And I know for you, that transition was, was South Florida. I believe you shortly after that, I know you had, a, I think a relationship ended around that time as well. Took a trip out to Florida, spent some time with a buddy. I think you called your dad and you were like, I, I, I want to, I have to live here. And then two months later you were there and Bro, it's so you're living. You're so, it's so crazy. Right? No, no, no. It's crazy. Continue, continue. And you're there living out of a car for nine days, eating like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Like that's how badly you wanted to be there is you would sleep in your, and it was at a, it wasn't a civic. It was a CRV. On a CRV, bro. Yeah. Yeah. You, we had, we had a little more room, but dude, that's so crazy that like, it's crazy. Cause like I've, I've shared 
I've shared like bits and pieces of this, but like, you know, maybe two years ago. And then again, like a year ago. So like the fact that I don't even know exactly how you were able to dig all this up, but, but basically, yeah, man, like right after that happened, I found out my girlfriend at the time was cheating on me and I hit up my friend, my boy, Mike Levy, that I lived in uh, Israel with for nine months right after high school. He lived in Boca Raton. I was like, yo, bro, like I want to come visit, see what's up. It, it was 2014. It was the World Cup happening that summer. And I remember we went to, um, we, we went to Miami Beach to watch some of the games. And I was like, bro, like, this is so crazy. Like, like, like this energy. And it's, I just felt like the outdoors, like, like the lifestyle very much so aligned with who I was and who I was becoming. And I remember literally walking on that beach very close to the Fountain Blue Hotel. And I remember hitting up my dad and I was like, yo, pops, like, I think, I think I want to make a move out here. And then literally two months later, I packed up everything in my Honda CRV, drove, made the move. Uh, I stayed with Mike for a couple weeks. Then him and I were part of this organization. We got a house that fell apart like three months in. And at the time I had like very little money saved up, uh, very few contacts. Uh, and yeah, bro, I remember also calling my dad and, and I was like, yo, dad, like, I, I think this experiment ran its course. I think it ran its course. I think I'm going to come back home. And this was probably like six to nine months in, I would say. And my dad basically, without telling me like, you're not welcome to come back. Like, of course he would have welcomed me, but like, he's like, really? Like, yeah, you're thrown in the towel already, you know? And it kind of goes back to honestly, uh, grandpa George, right? Like he was, he was, he was a fighter, man. Like he, he never gave up. He never quit. And Sold those vacuums for 11 years, man. Yeah. Was it 11 years? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was 11 years. That's what I found. Oh, yeah. Well, it's crazy, actually. I need to check because I have a watch from my grandpa that was given to him by the vacuum company, and it has the dates. So we can confirm that time span. But if it's actually 11 years, bro, you're a fucking legend. <laughs> I can't wait for my dad to listen to this episode. He's going to be like, who the hell is this guy? Well, Jamie set such a high expectation at VCon that I do research. So I was like, I got to make sure I come through with something. Yeah, so I did, I, I did the digging. It makes it fun too. Cause it's like, I'm just caught off guard. So I appreciate you, bro. That's good. I appreciate that, man. And so in Miami, eventually you, you do find your way, right? So I think it was the Jewish community center. That's where you were getting the house subsidy from, I believe. Yeah. 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 So, so fast forward, like, Got a little support. I was staying at this place, Richard's Motel, right in Hollywood, Florida. I remember just getting in the shower one morning, turning on the lights and seeing like six to seven cockroaches, like just in the shower. And I am terrified by cockroaches. Um, I was like, I can't, I can't do this shit. So at that point, I probably had $900 in my name. And I remember, yeah, just pulling up. I was like, all right. And I was still, I was coaching a little bit of youth sports at the JCC, but like, bros, what? Like three or four hours a day, 12 bucks an hour, you know? Um, 
So yeah, did that for eight or nine nights, slept in the Honda CRV, was surviving on some PB&J sandwiches, as you said, and then kind of just long story short, because I know, you know, we have finite time for this conversation, but, but basically long story short, man, um, connected with a parent at the JCC who was a real estate agent and like set me up with this, one of her clients who was converting their garage into like a little studio that was like 600 bucks a month. So I stayed there for probably almost a year. Um, it was crazy, bro. Like looking back, looking back at these different stages is really, really special. Actually, it's something I probably don't do often enough because I mean, that wasn't that long ago, bro. It was, I mean, it was five years ago. Right. But I think about like, oh my gosh, five years, like, damn, dude, what's possible in these next five years? You know what I'm saying? So long story short, start working at a performance training facility start connecting with like that pro athlete energy again. Um, a lot of people start coming to me for training, you know, parents of the kids that I'm coaching. So I get certified as a personal trainer and then I just become addicted to more and more knowledge. I'm learning all about nutrition. I'm doing different certifications. You know, I'm sharing and disseminating this knowledge um, to the people I'm working with. And then, you know, I start sharing on, on Instagram at the time um, and then LinkedIn a little bit, right? And then you know, my evolution just kept on taking me different places. And then probably 2018, July, Peru, my first ayahuasca experience, that was, I would say like the next really pivotal point in my journey. You skipped over one of the pivotal points. Okay. What's that? You skipped over on it. Oh my God, bro. Dude, on it was a fucking game changer. So for those who don't know on it, it was founded by Aubrey Marcus. It's you know, they have a physical location in Austin, Texas. And then, you know, they sell a bunch of fitness equipment, different supplements, but it's a really, really cool brand and mission. So it was November 2016. And I remember being on my computer like a week before. And I just saw an ad pop up, I think on Facebook at the time. And it was like, hey, there's this certification next week for on it. And I had heard the name on it and I knew it was like a reputable brand. And I was like, this is interesting. And literally like I usually do when there's a big decision, I called my dad and I was like, yo pops, I think I'm going to do this thing in Austin, Texas. He's like, he's like, Hey man, if it's going to make you better and, and you're going to learn something useful, like go for it. So I went with no expectations. I went by myself. Not only did I learn a lot, like in the certification, right? It was a lot of different movement modalities. But bro, it was really the people that were there. And I remember after the certification, going to dinner with some of the people and one of them asked me like, hey, have you ever listened to the Ben Greenfield podcast? And I was like, I've literally never listened to a podcast in my life. November, 2016. like. I had never listened to a podcast. So I was introduced to podcasts. And then um, a couple years later, started my own. And it just triggered a lot of new connections, you know, because you don't know what you don't know and you can't see what you've never been exposed to. So 
just being in that energy and environment of people who are also on that path of human potential was really inspiring for me and just like opened up new doors, um, which I'm really grateful for. And so when did you take the step to, to going out on your own? Cause I know you mentioned you were at a performance center, I believe it was Bomberito. Um, and then it would have been, I believe shortly after that, that you left and did your own thing. <laughs> yeah, bro. That's so, so I'm just continuing to be massively impressed. Um, yeah. So, so Bomberito was the, the training facility for a lot of the pro athletes. Um, quite frankly, I was just working my ass off and getting paid shit. And I was like, fuck it. Like a lot of people are asking me for training. Like, let me just see what happens. Right. And start training clients. I don't even know what my starting rate was probably like 80 bucks an hour or something. Or something I want to say, you know, I would do house visits. Like I was in Aventura and sunny Isles. This is like 30 minutes North of Miami, Miami beach, um, which I hope you're able to visit soon. Um, but yeah, bro. And that kind of led to, you know, word of mouth, you know, the community, people telling friends like, yo, this guy's, this guy's great. Um, and then really bro, uh, I don't know if there's any other pivotal points I'm missing that you want to bring to my attention, but I would say, yeah, so we can, we can talk about the ayahuasca thing if you want to later, but one of the one of one of the biggest shifts for me was actually uh and i wonder if you have this in your notes because like i don't want to ruin it for you if you do um go ahead i don't know if i have it i don't know if i have it so go ahead okay so we're just continuing to go on that training thing and i was just having a conversation you know with a big time creator today and we were talking about this because he was asking me for help like getting clear with his offers and programs and like doing that whole thing and I was telling him, I was like, bro, you're so young. Like you have the opportunity to avoid so many of the mistakes I did. Right. And one of those mistakes, it's not a mistake, but it's like something that you reach a point and you realize like, okay, this isn't scalable, right. Is trading your time for money. So this whole time, you know, three, four years, uh, while training people privately, right. At this point, I have a good reputation. I'm charging 150 bucks an hour, you know, train four clients a day. That's amazing, right? $600 a day. Um, but what happens when I leave for two weeks? Right? So that really hit me in January of 2020, literally right before the pandemic, I went to a Joe Dispenza workshop in Bogota, Colombia. And I just remember being in a cab after, after that workshop. And I was like, dude, when I get home, I need to create something powerful that's an online offering because I can't continue losing 100% of my income when I travel. Like, what type of life is that, bro? You know, especially for someone who's always wanting to learn and grow and experience new things. So, literally came back, dude, launched my one on one high ticket coaching. I enrolled my first client, Aiden Morin. Shout out Aiden Morin, Melbourne, Australia, literally two weeks before the pandemic. And it was crazy, bro. Like literally transitioned 100% of all of my income was in person and then shifted 
a hundred percent of it to online. And that was like a big shift because there's a lot of limiting beliefs to overcome. Um, but ultimately, man, like that was huge. That was huge. Realizing like, oh my gosh, like this is possible. And this is just scratching the surface. And how did you overcome those limiting beliefs? I've heard you say that, especially in the health and wellness space, a lot of people have limiting beliefs when it comes to money specifically. And just in general, for a lot of people, everyone has limiting beliefs. So how did you overcome yours and set up not multiple streams of income, but multiple streams of impact? This guy. Yo, multiple streams of impact, baby. I love it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's what, that, that's what I think is ultimately also something that I want to always stay connected to because we always hear people talking about multiple streams of income, but it's like, let's just serve at the highest level and find different ways and avenues to impact lives. And that most likely will generate into multiple streams of income if you're good at what you do and you have good intentions. Um, so for me, man, I think the biggest limiting belief was like, how do I do this? You know, it's, I see people, I see people, you know, who have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers. And I'm like, I see them, you know, with these programs, this online stuff. And for some reason, like it didn't seem attainable to me. Right. And then I kind of connected with some people that were in the online marketing space and, you know, they offered to help and, you know, they kind of knew about my mission and they felt connected to it. So that definitely helped. Um, and for me, it was like really just deciding I'm fucking doing this, right? It's not an option. It's not an option. And it just, it was starting to just go that direction. I just remember, you know, while I was gone for a couple of weeks traveling, I remember one of my clients who I trained like every day, had a great relationship with them saying like, listen, you know, when you go, it's like, it's tough because like, we love working with you and, and like, we're going to, you know, find someone else like for when you're gone. And I was like, for sure, do that, do whatever you have to do. Um, do whatever you have to do. And ultimately that was kind of like a trigger for me. Like, listen, man, like this is happening all in a divine way. So I think really deciding, yo, I'm doing this, not obsessing about how I'm going to do this, but putting that intention out there, this is going to happen and I'm going to get clear with the steps and the procedures and the systems that I want to establish for taking my coaching and my mentorship online to make it still very powerful, regardless of where you are in the world. We're going to get results. We're going to connect. We're going to break through. So I think for me, bro, it was like removing some of the pressure on the how and really just going all into the intention and then focusing my attention on that intention. And so as a holistic health coach, that's the correct title, right? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it's one of those things that, that I don't really like to identify with because Ultimately, and I'm, and I'm always having this conversation, this inner dialogue with myself, right? Because yes, I'm a coach. It's what people know me for. I mean, fuck, my handle's been Coach Jeremy 305 for a lot of years, right? But like really, when it comes down to it, 
in my most authentic essence, I'm a creator, right? And if you ask me like creator of what, I would tell you I'm a creator of possibilities. So if you want to become more confident, if you want to become more connected to your mind and your body, if you want to heal your brain and get off some of the harmful pharmaceutical drugs like Adderall and antidepressants, and you want to create more freedom in your life, I'll help you. I'll empower you to do that. So it just is a weird title, like creator of possibilities, right? But continue your question. We'll go with, we'll, for this conversation, we'll, we'll say that I'm a holistic health coach. Or, or chief energy officer. I know that's the other title that you like to use. I like that as well. Um, so when someone comes to you, like you just listed a bunch of different things someone would come to you for. How do you kind of, how do you package that? How do you figure out exactly what a person needs? Because especially with what you do, someone might think they need one thing, but you know they need something different that's going to be the solve for that problem. They just don't know enough to know what that solve is. So when someone comes to you and says, Jeremy, I need help. Like, how do you figure out exactly how to tailor a package or a programmer, however you want to call it, for them? Yeah, it's a good question. To be honest, at this point, I don't cater things that go away from my essence and core values, right? So what I mean by that is my work isn't for everyone. My work is for the 1% of people who are actually serious about doing the inner work and they understand that creating more health, creating more happiness, creating more healing, more harmony is not an overnight process. It's not a magic pill. And if someone wants to, you know, someone, I mean, it, it would be crazy to actually just go through some of the DMs that people send me. But like, really, bro, to be honest, based on like the messaging that I've put out in the last year, year and a half, it's been cool because people kind of come to me asking the same things. And a lot of times it is, hey, my college age son is on Adderall and or he's depressed and he's losing himself, you know, or, hey, I'm doing well on the outside, but I feel like shit on the inside. Right. I've been following this paradigm and societal narrative of graduating college, getting a job, getting a promotion, getting another promotion, getting married, and like losing themselves in the process. Right. And on this hamster wheel, most people are living life in a rat race. They're not even conscious or aware of the way that they're showing up for themselves and the way that they're showing up for others, they've disconnected themselves from the things that actually bring them joy, right? So for me, it's like, going back to your original question, for me, it's like, I'm much more, there's so many health coaches in the world. There's so many life coaches in the world, right? So for me, the way that I separate myself is, listen, I was built on a foundation of training, fitness, movement, nutrition, literally learning 
from the best and brightest people in the world. And then learning from people like Joe Dispenza and Wim Hof in person, you know, who are also world renowned at what they do. So I've been exposed to the best teachers and practitioners. So I implement all of those practices while also implementing microdosing, right? So, so we can talk more about that. But what I do is very unique. Jacob, like the way that my six-week mastermind and mentorship and community is cultivated is unlike anything else that's offered. And I'm very connected to the health and wellness space. I'm, you know, very close to a lot of people, whether they're doctors, whether they're coaches, whether they're huge podcasters or, you know, have a big following on social media and they're doing different things to monetize that, like no one's doing what we're doing. And I'm really proud of that because it's required me to leave a lot of money on the table in the short term. And in that process, add massive, massive impact to people's lives in a very aligned and authentic and healthy way. Um, that's been really beautiful to witness, bro. So I'm grateful for that. And we can continue kind of diving deeper into that and peeling some layers back. I'd love to. There's one thing I do want to talk about before we do that. And there's one thing that's, you talk about how you've left a lot of money on the table, but one thing you've also, you're big on it is giving back. You know, like that's something that's been fundamental to you since you cussed out your English teacher in high school. Um, so can you tell me the significance of Rita Gunturn? Oh my gosh. This, okay. This is crazy. Um, oh my gosh. All right. Where do I start? Okay. First of all, I think we should, we should clarify the cussing out the teacher part. Now this ties it. That's what I was thinking. That's what I was thinking too. This was senior year, Aragon high school. Miss Johnson was the teacher. Now, here were the conditions that took place that led to those events taking place, all right? So one of my very good friends, Alex Miller, who him and I were the two best uh, tennis players on our team at our school. Um, he was also the quarterback of our football team. Uh, he was just an overall cool fucking guy, right? Kind of like that prototypical dude in like those high school movies, like, but he was a super, also like a super humble, good guy. Um, anyways, anyways, we had a project to do for our English class. And Alex hit me up the night before and he's like, yo, dude, like I've just been busy. Um, like, like I haven't really had time to, to work on this. Can you help me out? Like, I'm going to send you what I have. And I was like, yeah, like for sure, bro. I got you. So like I help Alex, I basically like wrote a couple paragraphs for him, made some edits, whatever. Anyways, we submit those and we get our grades back. I got a C. Alex got a fucking A minus. And bro, I get so livid. And I just couldn't contain myself. But here's the caveat. Here's the caveat that I knew that not anyone else knew. Alex also would help babysit Miss Johnson's kids, right? So like, tell me, tell me, tell me, tell me that there's not a little bit of 
favoring going on there. And that's normal. Like we're humans, right? Like we're going to like people more than we like others. I understand that now, especially. So we get these grades and I just get fucking pissed, dude. I'm like, how the fuck is this possible? Blah, 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 whatever, dude. And I'm not the type of person that talks up in class, like literally never. Right. So this was like catching people off guard, but I was like, fuck it. I don't even care. I'm going to, I'm going to say what's on my mind. This is ridiculous. So I get called into the Dean's office. I get told that I have anger issues. So I have to do anger management. And one of those things that I had to do as a part of that was uh, community service. And that's where Rita Gunturn comes in. Cause she was the manager at the second harvest food bank. So I, I started going there uh, two days a week with my mom most of the time. And man, I just start, I, I was enjoying it. Like there's other people who some of them had to be there. Some of them chose to be there and it felt good. Like it felt good to do something that was not for myself. That was, and hopefully enhancing the lives of others. Um, so yeah, I, th- I again, it's just another example, right, of like all of these bad events and quotation marks really becoming the greatest blessings and teaching us the greatest lessons. So, yeah, man. You still talk to Rita to this day, don't you? I haven't spoken to Rita in probably a couple years. And the reason for that is because, well, I mean, there's actually no excuse for that to happen, but. Um, it's a combination of me not being the greatest at like maintaining long, like long distance uh, relationships, but she left second harvest. I moved to Miami. Um, but that actually definitely inspired me to reach out to her because I'm going home to visit tonight. Actually, I'm on a flight. So it would be cool to kind of pop up and leave her a voice note and just kind of rekindle that relationship. Absolutely, man. I'm glad. And so how is, how is giving back stayed with you to this day? Cause that was senior year of high school. So that was like 2008. So we're 14 years later here. How are you still incorporating giving back into your life? So it's a really good question. And what I'll say is it's something that I'm currently sitting with a lot. So, um, that really, I guess, triggered a lot of that chemistry in my brain like selfishly, this actually really feels good to do something for other people, right? And also, obviously, it's making a positive impact on humanity. So, you know, fast forward, I I lived in Israel for nine months after high school, right? And a big part of that was volunteering and giving back. So I spent a lot of my time doing that. When I went to University of Oregon after that, I right away was seeking out opportunities to give back because to be honest with you, I felt this void. I felt this emptiness. You know, I'm getting drunk on weekends. I'm doing school. I'm doing all this stuff. But like, what am I actually doing to make the world around me better? So I started volunteering at a high school and going there once a week. And it was like the troubled kids uh, in Eugene, Oregon. And that was also amazing. And for me, and then I guess fast forward 2017, 2018, 2019, I did annual trips to Haiti to an orphanage for three or four days, which I'm 
which I'm kind of surprised you didn't mention, Jacob. You're 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 slacking, bro. Anyways, so Maison Fortuné Orphanage in Haiti. Correct. And that was amazing. That was amazing. I mean, honestly, just being in that energy of these kids who are just so innocent, so beautiful. And most of them, actually all of them lost one or both parents in the 2010 devastating earthquake there, right? So, so, so those are some of the things I've done. And I'm sure there's more that I, that I failed to mention. But to be honest with you, man, like I go through these phases where a lot of times I feel like I'm not doing enough in that arena. And what I mean by that is like, I know that my content impacts a lot of people. I know that my impact in the community here in Miami or wherever I'm living is impacting people. But I do feel like there's more I could be doing. And, you know, I've, I actually created a nonprofit six months ago that I haven't talked about or anything. And I haven't really like, tapped into that fully. I got the design and logo. It's called Feed the Future. And really what my vision for that is, is like really getting into the community and feeding the youth knowledge, feeding the youth love, feeding the youth the tools that they don't learn in school, and also physically feeding the youth high quality nutrition, you know, that they're not really being exposed to at home or at school. So that's something I really want to step into this next six to 12 month time period is getting clear with myself. Okay. What does this look like? Because a narrative that I have is like, okay, you know, when I get to this point or when I get, when I'm generating this much income, then I'll shift my focus there. But that's really a terrible mindset to have because that vision that destination is always going to be moving, right? So for me, I'm really doing my best to explore ways like, okay, how can I incorporate giving back? How can I incorporate community on a consistent basis? And it's something that I don't have the perfect formula for, but I know that it's really my truest calling is working with the youth um, inspiring the youth and empowering them to tap into their gifts and full potential. So, and well, we have to also talk about the fact that like you are having impact at scale with your content, right? Like you're impacting what we talked at the top of the show in the intro, 1.2 million people follow you on TikTok, and you're providing valuable information with every single video. So you are still having that impact in some ways. And that's, that's beyond your, your community and your surroundings. That's to over a million people, which is insanity to say that's a lot of people. Sometimes it just looks like a number on a screen, but that is 1 million individual human beings. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because it's true, man. It's true. And like, you know, going to a place like VCon where you and I connected and having people come up and just say like, yo, your content's really impacted me and resonated with me and allowed my family and I to create a healthier, happier life. Like that 
is literally the best drug. The best drug ever is knowing that the stuff that I'm really dedicating my life to is actually making an impact. And for sure, you know, it's something that it's something that I do take time to really give gratitude for and also understand that like we spoke about before this call, before we started recording, I genuinely feel like I'm just getting started, bro. Like just starting to really tap in to my most authentic expression of creativity. And what that looks like for me moving forward actually is some music. And yeah, bro. So just finished writing and almost recorded the whole first song. And I really think this is going to be a beautiful way to impact people in a way that stays with them. Because when you hear that song that just gets stuck in your head and it's like the medicine, it's, it's that healing remedy if you're feeling down or you need a little inspiration. Um, so I'm really excited for this next chapter uh, to incorporate some of that. And yeah, bro, it's, it's so true. Like what you said about even, you know, even let's say someone's listening and they have, you know, 5,000 followers. It's like, imagine 5,000 people in front of you. Like you're speaking on stage and there's 5,000 people sat down. Like that's significant. And for me, it's this balancing act of knowing like, wow, man, like I'm really grateful and appreciative of what my commitment and consistency has allowed me to do and reach. But at the same time, in the grand scheme of things, bro, 1.2 million people, there's 8 billion people in this world. You know, like my content's only in one language, bro. 95% of the world can't even understand anything I'm fucking saying. So that's something I'm thinking about like, wow, I need to have all of my content converted to Spanish. I need to start like really getting creative in my distribution strategies to make a greater impact because the truth be told, man, I'm neglecting a majority of the world of this. I'm robbing the world of so much knowledge and wisdom. And that is a crime that I should be punished for, Jacob. And the way that I'm punishing myself is by taking massive action and really like that's one of my top priorities right now is like figuring out like okay what is the best way to get all these videos transcribed or translated or whatever that looks like and if someone's listening right now and you have an idea like shoot me a dm right now on instagram at coach jeremy 305 because i want to talk to you and like amplify our impact together because that's something i've really been thinking about well, cause you were learning Spanish for a while, right? This was your intent to originally just natively speak it yourself in the videos. Yes. So again, great question. Um, so my Spanish is pretty solid now. Um, and my intention is to definitely continue improving Spanish, potentially living in a place like Colombia or Barcelona for an extended period. And if I, I'm confident if I spent like four to six months in one of those environments, I'd be fluent afterwards. 
Um, so it's yes, yes, me. I feel like right now, if you put me on a stage in a Latin American country, like I with the not with the with the way that I communicate and the Spanish that I already have, like it would be really entertaining and people would get the gist of what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I definitely, definitely would love to, you know, in the very near future, call it six to 12 months, be creating more Spanish content myself. And dude, I'm, this conversation is literally triggered so many light bulbs for me. So I'm really grateful. Yeah. Like I'm, when we're done, I'm going to hit up Rita Gunturn. I'm going to really make sure that I'm staying connected to staying solution oriented rather than talking about how amazing my products and services are, like really talking about how this can help you heal and create more health, right? And then just what we talked about now, um, the Spanish content and serving more people. And there's, I want to jump back quickly to you mentioned how with, with putting out or not putting out yet, but soon putting out music and you're finally tapping into creativity in the way that's most authentic to yourself. And with this goal of wanting to impact the world, like you said, you've only reached like five, 10% of the world thus far, where you could only like with English speaking content, you've reached 1.2 million people reaching the whole world is going to take a long time. This isn't like a goal you're hoping to achieve in the next five years. This is a lifetime mission that you're working towards and you're going to be able to continue working to it because you found a way to create in the way that's most, most authentic for you. If you're creating in a way that's inauthentic and isn't you, you're naturally going to burn out because it's not fun for you if you're not creating in an authentic way. This is, this is, I'm so glad you brought that up because I really compare content creation to fitness or nutrition, whatever you want to call it, dude, it's literally all a game of self-love, right? Because if you genuinely love yourself, then you probably start nourishing yourself with food that's actually going to support your long-term health and longevity. You're probably going to move your body. You're probably going to surround yourself with people that support your growth and hold you accountable if you love yourself, right? And I think a big reason why people struggle to create content that's authentic to them is because they're still attached to certain insecurities that are holding them back from fully stepping into their power. And you see this all the time. And I've gone through it myself. You see, let's just talk about a very common thing that we all have been exposed to, right? Like the, the, the generation of Instagram models, right? Just posting pictures of their booties and dudes like myself posting pictures of their six pack and like making their entire identity be attached to their physical body. But you can only take that shit so far. That is so surface level, right? Like you can't, like, that's cool. You have 5 million followers, 85, 90% of them are just horny dudes who want to bang you, right? Okay, cool. How are you going to actually turn that into impact and income? Oh, OnlyFans, right? It makes perfect sense. And that's why OnlyFans blew up these last couple of years. It's because all of these huge influencers on social media who had massive followings 
they didn't have other skills, at least skills that they shared that they could monetize. So the only thing they can monetize was exclusive content and showing more of their body. And again, I'm not here to throw shade at those people. I'm, I'm literally saying that in a very non-judgmental way, like, like get your money, like do what you got to do to put food on the table. But ask yourself, is that really how you want to be making your money? Like, do you really want to be dependent on constantly just showing up in that way and really suppressing so much of your natural beauty, you know, uh, in order to do that? So that was, that was a passionate little rant I went on, but it really all comes down to getting clear with those things. And it's uncomfortable at first because most of us naturally are always going to be concerned by being judged by other people and people not liking it as much or not viewing it as much. And like, that can be hard to see, you know, me personally, bro, I went through like a little three month phase on TikTok where, you know, I was probably at like two, like 300,000 followers. And then I took one video. I'll never forget this. Uh, I took this one video in a grocery store and it was talking about raising your vibration. And it was literally saying like, listen, if you want to be a high vibe human, stop, eat, stop, eat, stop drinking Coke, stop eating Doritos. This shit is literally poisoning you and destroying every part of your health, your brain, your, your future, right? And I was pointing out some of the toxic ingredients and bro, the video went viral. And I was like, bro, like, do people not comprehend that Coke is bad for them. Like it blew me away that this was new information. And then I started to create a couple more videos in the grocery store, Bro, they were going so viral, like 2 million views, 4 million views. And I was like, Oh shit, like this is crazy. And while nutrition is important to me, and it's something that I think is very important to tune into in your life, by no means is that everything. It's a, it's a, piece of the puzzle when we talk about health, when we talk about creating a, creating a bright future, but it's just one piece of the puzzle, right? So I feel like I was feeding into the algorithm because I knew that shit was hitting. And in that process, I neglected some of the other things that I enjoy talking about that are equally as important, whether it's mindset, whether it's, you know, um, biohacking, ice baths, like all of this stuff, right? And I kind of had to take a step back and I was like, dude, yeah, this shit is hitting. Amazing, cool. Um, but I don't want to be known as the grocery store guy. Like by no means do I want that to be my identity. You know, I'll let someone else do that. Um, so for me, it's like, it's been kind of that fine dance and you've probably experienced it on your journey as well. but it's been kind of that fine dance of like always aligning to my core values, my mission, my vision. What I'm hearing when you're talking about that is whether it be algorithmic validation or validation for people, you know, like most people spend too much time caring about the opinions of other people. And that's what gets in the way from them creating their most authentic self. So how do you 
ignore those opinions. And even it's even harder in your case, when you're talking about videos are popping off, you're getting a lot of validation from these other opinions as well. So it's kind of reinforcing what you should be doing. Like, how do you silence all of that to find your most authentic self and your most, and the way you should be creating that's most authentic to you? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think it's a challenge. It's a challenge because again, especially for, let's be honest, man. I mean, these last two years since, since TikTok became TikTok and became such a beast and so relevant, right? A lot of people who were unknown and who never experienced these challenges before are now suddenly having to deal with all of, you know, hundreds, thousands of comments. There, there, there's a lot more stimulation, a lot more noise. So I think it's really important to, first of all, and most importantly, if somebody throws shade at you or throws hate at you in the comment section, you cannot let that stop you. You cannot let that shit penetrate you because you really have to get into the place and the mindset of understanding that this person has clearly taken time to consume your content and then they've taken more precious time to write something negative, hateful, disrespectful, whatever you want to call it. So, and Gary Vee talks about this too. It's like, bro, I have compassion for anyone who comes at me like that, right? Um, so understanding that, also being super grounded and confident in your message. Like if you really know that what you're saying is truth, facts, and it's said with good intentions, like that ultimately is the best way to mitigate any of the external noise and also need for validation. Because even if something doesn't hit, and let's be honest, like, Bro, I just had a video, a video I posted like two days ago. It hit a million views. And then other videos that I personally like better, that I think the message is way more powerful, 25,000, 30,000 views. For me, I'm like, okay, hopefully whoever saw that message needed to see it. Like, I really believe that the universe shows things to people that need to be seen and that are ready to see those messages. So that's also something that I really remind myself is like universe, algorithm, just show this video to one person who really needs to see this message right now, you know, and let it impact them in a positive way. But I'm not going to lie to you. When you have those, when you have, let's say, I mean, there's been a week where like, bro, five or six videos hit you know, over a million, two million views in the same week, five or six, and you just see your follower count grow, you see like, like, holy shit, I'm the shit, dog. I'm amazing. Right. And then it's like, it's like, no, bro. Like I'm fucking grateful. Like, fuck yes. Like, dude, like I've earned the right to impact this many people through the work that I've done through the work on myself. And like, this is just a representation of that commitment and consistency. And I know it's not always going to be like that. 
So I'm going to enjoy it, but I'm also not going to be like, oh my God, my self-worth is attached to how many views I get. Right? It's like, it's like really just finding that balance for yourself. And, and it's different for everyone, but constantly reconnecting with yourself through journaling and just through nature and disconnecting and turning your phone on airplane mode and, and really allowing yourself that time and space to periodically check in with yourself. Hey, how do I feel right now? Hey, how's my creativity? Hey, really, how am I feeling right now? Do I need a little break? You know, that's another thing, man. And I'm sorry to keep rambling, but like another thing I've really learned too is, is, and this is true, honestly, for all facets of life. When you come from a forceful place, it's going to reflect in the content. And I can see some of the videos that I've created in the past. And don't get me wrong. Some of them hit super hard and went very viral, but I look back and I'm like, I, I don't like the way I communicated that. It was like forceful energy. Like it was, it was maybe me not feeling in a very creative state, but like I told myself I was going to make these videos. And sometimes you need to do that. You need that discipline, right? Because you're not always going to feel like it. But I've learned to really honor my creative process by when I do feel super tapped in and I'm like, oh my gosh, like. I just feel like these messages need to be shared. I want to create this. I want to create that. I honor that. Maybe I'll even cancel a couple of calls on my calendar to give myself that time and space to use that time to create. And then there's other times where quite frankly, I'm like, bro, I really wish I could create right now. I have like a couple hours where I allocated, but I'm like, I'm just not feeling that same inspiration. And it's like not beating yourself up for that, right? It's like same thing in life. If you're too forceful and you try to control everything, your life's going to be miserable. If you, if you step back and allow yourself to feel and actually flow with the energy that you're feeling, it's going to allow you to, in my opinion, create more consistent results over a long period of, a to- uh, long period of time and avoid that burnout that you mentioned earlier. Man, there's, I got to stop asking you questions because we will be here forever and I respect your time. I know it's valuable and we're already over time. So I'm going to jump to my last question here. And that question, I ask this question at the end of every podcast and I like to flip the script with this last question. So instead of me asking the question, it's you asking the question, but it's not to me. Pretend you have a crystal ball. You can ask this crystal ball any question. You'll get the 100% honest answer. What is one question you want to know the answer to? Mm. Wow. Damn, bro. I'm really like drawing, drawing a blank is so challenging. I think my intuition, where my intuition goes is, is like with my ancestors and learning more about them. So kind of, you know, I know things about my mom and dad's childhood, but like there's some things that I don't know, right? Whether it's them not wanting to share, or them just subconsciously forgetting. I think for me, it would probably be, and it's not like a specific question, but, but it's like digging deeper into my parents, my grandparents, my ancestors. Like, you know, I'm Jewish, so I'm sure I have distant relatives that were in the Holocaust, you know, and just learning more about that. 
And I guess on a more lighter note, <laughs> dude, I want to know if flying cars are actually going to fucking happen because I remember in fifth grade, I was told these things were 10 years away. And fast forward 2022, we still don't got them. And I'm just curious, like, were we lied to as kids? Is the technology not there? You know, what's going on? And I feel like there's, there's some secrets being withheld. Um, one more question, which I think is going to be answered, and I already kind of have the intuitive answer, is like, is like, bro, I want to know the deep details behind the pandemic. Like I have, I was saying my, my hypothesis early on, I was getting ripped apart for it. All of this shit turned out to be true that I was saying. And like from not even a political standpoint, I'm not a political person, but like, bro, crazy shit happened these last two years. Literally. Wow. The whole world got flipped upside down. Literally, all 8 billion people were affected. And it's not a specific question. It's a series of multiple questions that I am looking forward to learning more about. Um, but yeah, sorry for dragging that on. And um, yeah, bro, this was an absolutely phenomenal, enjoyable eye-opening conversation. And dude, I just want to acknowledge you, Jacob, for the level of research and the level of dedication and commitment that you have because the names that you dropped today, from Grandpa George to Rita Gunturn to all of the other things from Bomberito and absolutely incredible. And I still don't know where you got most of these things from, uh, which I'm excited to learn more about later, but man, um, absolutely incredible. So I tip my hat to you, sir. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. That means a lot. I knew there was a high bar coming in because Jamie set the bar high when we were talking at, at VCon. So I knew I had to, I had to bring my A game for this one. So to hear that from you, man, really, really does mean a lot. Um, but I want to give you the floor now. Where can the people find you? I want you to plug. Where can they get your coaching? Plug anything and everything you got right now. Amazing, brother. Appreciate you. So best place to find me on TikTok, on Instagram is at Coach Jeremy 305, just how it sounds. And YouTube as well. Um, same thing. We'll include that in the show notes. And then I mm -hmm. guess... The best place for someone to get started, right, and really tap in, I think the best thing people can do and like the, the low-hanging fruit is really just making simple changes with their nutrition to optimize their brain health and to optimize their hormones. So I created this really powerful uh, Master Your Nutrition program that really provides people all the tools they need to know what to eat, what not to eat, and how to really optimize their nutrition, 
right? No diets, no calorie counting, none of that bullshit, right? Principles that they can really live by. And it's a $29 lifetime access uh, program. So we can link to that in the show notes. And honestly, I just want people to take ownership and control of their health. You know, we've been programmed and I know we didn't talk about it so much today, but like we've been programmed to think that doctors always know what's right and that these certain drugs like Adderall, antidepressants, you know, statins, all of these things that are handed out like fucking candy are actually the same things that are causing so much dysfunction in our health, in our, in our, in our country. And I know you're in Canada and I don't think it's so different over there. A lot of people struggling, but America, you know, 70% people are overweight, you know, one in two people are taking at least one medication. And I just don't want people to be a slave to that system anymore. Right. I really want them to feel empowered to take ownership of their life. So that's the nutrition program. If they want to dive deeper into microdosing, they can. We have the microdosing mastermind where we work with the ancient tools, uh, magic mushrooms, and all the other modalities that we touched on today, movement, nutrition, mindset, sleep, hormone optimization, you know, really diving deep into the subconscious mind. And, um, you know, we can link to that as well. But I really just want people to do one thing, like literally one thing today to show themselves a little more love a little more kindness, whether that's going for a morning walk, whether that is eating some delicious, nutritious fruit or a grass-fed steak, whatever it is, whether it's having a conversation with a loved one, like just do one thing today that maybe you wouldn't typically do that's going to make you feel better. And ultimately, it's all just a game of self-love. So um, hopefully this conversation brought value to some people, man. And um, I really look forward to connecting with some people in your community. That's amazing, man. Like you said, I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below so everyone can find it. And I know at least one person got value of this conversation because I got value out of this conversation. So thank you once again for your time, man. I really appreciate it. I want to thank everybody for listening. Whether you've listened the entire way through or you only listen to bits and pieces, I really appreciate you for taking time to check this out. Do me a big favor. Go and follow Jeremy. Go and check out his nutrition course. Like I said, everything will be linked in the show notes down below so you can find it. If you like to follow me, you can find me everywhere on social media at the Jacob Kelly. Feel free to come and say hello. My DMs are always open. As always, today's podcast is powered by Surf. Thank you once again for listening. We'll talk soon. Much love. Peace.